0: Thank you so much for being here today. We're super excited to get to interview you. I would love if you could introduce yourself.
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast today. I am Mick Smith. I'm sometimes known as the doctor of digital because I do have a podcast myself, but I do have a background extensively in education, but I've also moved into digital marketing, voice talent. I also help authors write their books. I edit voice talent, a bunch of things like that. So i usually what I say when people ask, what do I do? I say, pick a card, any card. I can do it.
0: (laughs) Love that. What is your book about?
1: Well, it's a good question because I wrote a book some years ago and actually what it came down to, and I sat on it for quite a long time until I kept running into people who were in a very similar situation. So it was something that I hadn't chosen for myself but I did have an unfortunate incident occur some years ago when I pulled up in a driveway and everything was gone. The house was stripped, the bank accounts emptied, and most importantly, my daughter was not at home. So I had to do a little bit of a search to try to find her, contacted everybody I could think of in the local community, what I call the local village, found a cop, and I said, I can't find my daughter, where is she? She had been at a neighbor's house and the police then finally called, I was living outside of Philadelphia at the time, in suburban Philadelphia, and over the police radio, I heard California. So I found out my daughter was 3,000 miles away. My, my wife had taken off with her. And so really, the novel was about that. But as like I said, I sat on it for a while, mostly because I wrote a book because it was catharsis. I wanted to get it out of my system. It was a very traumatic period in my life and then trying to get my child restored back to the marital home. And I wanted to get it out of myself and out of my brain and and get it out, You know, in other words, to express this idea. And so I had sat on it for a while for a long time, but then I run into other people when I said something about my background and then being a full-time single father, people said something along the same lines. Well, that happened to me, or that was my cousin, or I know somebody so after a quite a long time of having it on the shelf i said i think it's about time to publish this book and i also point out that actually um since i love music too as part of my background not my official background but i love music Actually, there's a song from 1959 that Chuck Berry sings called Memphis, Tennessee, and some people might enjoy it because it's old rock and roll. And he has a very interesting song, and it says about that he gets a call from somebody from Memphis, Tennessee, and it's basically, who else could it possibly be? My uncle took the number and wrote it on the wall. That is a person that I know. That's Marie. That's my six-year-old daughter. And he says in the lyrics, and why is she in Memphis? Because her mother and I could not agree. So my point here is that I think this is something that's a situation that's been around for a long time. And so as I did a little bit of research and find out that actually, in terms of custody, parental alienation, and things of that nature, there are something like 220 million people that are affected or impacted by this. So it seemed to be very timely. And I thought I had a good story. So I said, you know what? I'm going to try to help people. people about my experience and find out this really terrible situation that you can find yourself in and that's what i call the custody village court all kinds of people and an industry that really does not support families and it doesn't do the subtitle the novel is in the best interest of the children the phrase that you will always hear but i put it with a question mark because that's what i'm questioning it's really not set up that way and it's really not conducive to families or children or really healthy for anybody to be in.
0: I know you touched on this, but what inspired you to write your
1: book? Yeah, I think it's probably the impact. So first line of the novel is, no parent prepares for a child to be taken. And I go, absolutely. That almost nails it because when you do get married and when you do think about having children, You plan for a lot of things. So you'll plan for their upbringing in all kinds of ways. What school are they going to attend and what kind of friends are they going to have and how are we going to raise them? And is there a religion, a part of our upbringing? What kind of moral structure are we going to have? You plan for all kinds of things, food, clothing, family, all those kinds of things and all those decisions. But I bet no one really thinks about a child to be taken. And what would you do? Nobody can prepare for that. And I think that's what really set it off in terms of saying, you know, here is something that you need to consider or think about, or people might find themselves in that situation. So I'm hoping the novel really reaches out to them and helps them out to see they're not alone. There are other people that go through this. And I would have to say, I'm a survivor. I survived. I'm still around. (laughs) And, you know, I'm going to be... As happy and blessed as I can possibly be. And you can do it too. So hopefully it's a little bit of hope that people realize it's not there alone and they're not the only person that experiences something like this, but you can actually survive and thrive.
0: Love that. When writing your book, who are you thinking of when it comes to who your book is for?
1: I think it is for those children who might have been in that situation. So in this example that i'm describing this is a younger child between five and eight years old but what happens if the person has had that kind of experience and they're trying to process it as an adult because they probably don't understand what's going on it's hard enough for adults to understand but for a child who experienced something like this and a lot of kids will tell you that if they're if they've been in a custody or divorce situation It's very difficult or harder for them to live their lives. But I hopefully that as they get older and they can process it and they can also maybe talk to other people, priest, rabbi, minister, someone who can help them, family member, what have you, or just read, because I think it's also addressed to them. At the same time, I think maybe some parents who have been in this situation would be, I am not a person who is by themselves, that they would find some hope because there are other people that are experiencing it. And to be frank, I'd also like to try to address somebody who is thinking of doing something like this, like taking the child out of the life of their respective partner. And they might alienate a child away from a par- other parent, or maybe they're in their situation and reconsider their thoughts and reconsider it. Because as I said, I started running into people who were saying things that were very similar to my situation. And hopefully people would be a little bit more kind and more gentle and more loving and think about what they could do and the potential negative impact it has on other people and their actions have had, especially for a child or a, you know, or children, if there's more than one.
0: Love that. How long have you been writing and what made you really sit down and start to write your book?
1: That's an interesting question because as I have an academic background, so what I tell people is it's, uh, I've written a lot, so I know what a subject is, I know what a verb is, but this was my first foray into a novel, so it really is a very different experience. It's not the same thing, so even though I would say that I am fairly articulate when it comes to writing academically, that really isn't that much help when it comes to writing a novel because it really is a different type of writing. So I did what academics do. I did a lot of research. I found out, well, how do you write so a novel? So how do you write dialogue? How do you write character? How do you write a plot? I mean, so I did and wrote about written uh, in writing. I started looking at about maybe 12 other books to say all the things that you do. How do you set up a scene? How do you plot a novel? All those kinds of things to really plot it out. And actually what I did is I did it visually as well had a big place in my study when I was writing and it's visual. So here's the beginning. Here's how you build up. Here's where the end of the story, the denouement, the climax. So it was more visual than anything else. And along those lines, since I followed up with the novel, I'm also then writing it as a screenplay, which then is a different type of writing, but it makes it a story that I think can come to life. And I thought of it in very visual terms because there was a lot of conflict, obviously, that people know if they've been in this kind of parental alienation experience, they also know that there is a lot of conflict. So in that sense, it's actually easy to write because one of the first things they tell you about writing a novel or a screenplay, just like in anything that's a entertainment, make sure you have a lot of conflict. Well, that was the easy part. I already had a lot of conflict. It was more of how do I put it in a form that is the proper form, because when you're writing a novel or a screenplay or anything creative, I mean, one of the first things that people are looking at and considering it, is it in the right format? Is it actually in a professional way? And that's who you're dealing with. So I wanted to make sure it had all the basics and, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's.
0: Love that. That's amazing. What is What was your schedule like when you were writing
1: your book? Yeah, that's a, another good question. And again, because my situation, I was a full-time single father. So I had a full-time job and a full-time parent job. But usually what I had done is I would pretty strict, just like my parents were when it came to the discipline and in terms of what our schedule would be like. So after my daughter went to bed, which was fairly early, of course, she was pretty small. She was, you know, about eight when she was returned home. But I also would write in the evenings. And I came across some things, again, going back to my academic background. People had come across a book that I wish I had when I was writing my dissertation. But the title of the book is How to Write a Dissertation in 15 Minutes a Day, so it sounds like it's kind of a crazy title, because how can you write this really long, involved, complex work potentially in 15 minutes? But I understand what the author is going for. If you can put in 15 good minutes per day, you're going to finish. And what that means is don't waste a lot of time and don't go round and round on things that are not germane to the topic. But if you can get a 15 solid minutes, which means here's the pros that you really want to include and you really are comfortable with, and it really does fit the book, whatever you're writing creatively, you're going to finish. And I think that's what people would see when it comes to writing, because a lot of people have ideas for writing, because you can talk to almost anybody. Yeah, I thought about writing a book. I've got a story. And that's one of the things I said earlier to introduce myself. Yeah, I help people write books, you know, because I can help them write But what they need to understand is that you've got to have a schedule in which you would get that 15 minutes a day. So for some people, they're early morning risers or get up early. Some people say, no, I have to process it. So sometime during the day for myself, I tended to relax, but I could also be thinking about it. It's a process I call percolating. So way back when, when they used to have coffee on the stove, you know, you would see this thing percolate and the coffee would get hot. And that's what it reminds me of. I think ideas come to people like that. And that's what I always describe as the writing process because they percolate and you're thinking about them so that by the time you actually sit down to write, that's where that 15 good minutes comes in because those are the key words. Those are the key expressions. Those are the things that you've been thinking about and you want to be able to get that down on paper because that's golden. That's really going to help you.
0: I really love that. What do you need in your writing space to help you stay focused?
1: I think it's probably easier for me because I would say I'm a pretty focused person. And I think you just need to be comfortable. So for individuals, that's going to be something different. I mentioned earlier, just because I gave a reference to Chuck Berry, I love music. So I think music is helpful for me. And again, depending on the person, sometimes mellow music works for people because they can be more reflective. Other people are more as if they were doing something like a Zoom or something like a exercise and they need to be pumped up. But I think what's conducive for me is just a comfortable place. And people think that there are different ideas on that. So it might be music. It might be a place that's space and quiet. And I was, again, thinking about a child when a child to do homework properly give them a workspace and I think it's similar to that and I was fortunate when I lived at just outside of Philadelphia that I had a private study and it was a small study but the thing is I was surrounded by my books that makes me really happy too because I like having access to my books so being in an environment that's comfortable to that person I think helps people focus I think there's a lot of people get very distracted unfortunately people say things like you know that They've got a lot of things going on and some people can't work at home because it's the idea that they're distracted by all the things that they do have. You know, they're on their phone, they're watching television, they're listening to the radio. So I think keeping those distractions out, particularly electronic things really can help people to focus.
0: Love that. What is your favorite writing snack or drink?
1: Uh, probably pretty boring. So you know, I got water in front of me, it's probably just water. And I don't snack a whole lot. So I think as probably, again, it goes back to the person who has discipline and focus and what have you, I don't really snack on a whole lot. I don't eat all that much. My best friend calls me a breath he says I can get by on breath, but not quite that way. But I do think that I don't have what a lot of people seem to have, which is the I've got to have this to snack on. I have to have that. I just eat. Occasionally, and I don't eat that much, and I think I drink, drink a lot of water, cuts down on the amount that you feel as though you need, but you feel full. And besides, water is really good for you. So I don't have those kinds of things that say to motivate me. I'm already motivated. I'm ready to go. I think I have just have a lot of ideas. And when I would say with something like this, the novel that we're talking about, I've also got uh, other projects. I mentioned the screenplay, but I've also got other couple couple of books in mind. So. I'm more focused on how do I get these things done and how do I get enough time to do all the things I would like to accomplish.
0: Love that. What type of books do you personally enjoy reading?
1: Yeah, um, good question in that I do sound, without trying to sound snobby, because I know it sounds like people have got these favorite books that they have. I don't read the popular books, but there are two different things that I'm really attracted to. That is just classic literature. So some of those 19th century British novels are just phenomenal. I just think they're so well written and you can learn so much and they are so rich in the vocabulary and the ability of those writers to write that I really admire them. And so when I think of what would I like to read, they are so good and they are so involving that i look back at classics and anybody that's considered a classic over the last several centuries are really interesting saying that is one case is true, but then I do have take some more contemporary writers. Now one has passed away, but Walker Percy is a Southern novelist. He's really phenomenal. I enjoy him a great deal. And I also like E.L. Doctorow. Now those are very different. So you have a person who's from New York and Jewish, E.L. Doctorow. Then you have a person from the South and Roman Catholic, Walker Percy. So they're very different people but their styles have been very appealing to me. I enjoy what they're writing. They write about issues that are really important because when asking the question, what else do I read? Then I generally read nonfiction actually. So even though I enjoy a lot of the fiction and the two authors that I've mentioned, but I tend to read things given my background in history and religion, not surprisingly, things that have to do with either religion or history too, because I've always been academically interested in them. So I tend to go to a nonfiction if I'm not reading some piece of classic literature or EL Doctor Walker Percy hasn't had a book out that I haven't read yet, then I'll do that.
0: Love that. Are there any books or authors that inspired you to become a writer?
1: Yeah, I think it having said, the people that I've mentioned are really some of my favorites. I definitely can't write like them and I haven't imitated anybody's style. So That's actually probably a good question, but I think it's a combination when I was thinking about the novel and again, the two other books that I'm thinking about as well, I think that if you are going to write, you have to have something that really does come from within. And that's that creative aspect that you have. So without trying to imitate anybody, I think I've tried to be myself, but they are also subjects that I can speak to directly. So I would say it's really only myself, and I really haven't looked at anybody else or imitated anyone. I can't write like anybody else. I'm only me. And it actually reminds me of my best buddy who does write songs. And the thing is, when I am such a fanatic when it comes to music, and I know so much trivia, when I'm talking to him, he's like me in the sense that he hasn't imitated anybody. He's very original, he's got his own style. And I'm sometimes wondering when talking to him, how come you don't know some of these things about music or these musicians that I know? I'm not a musician. I'm not a songwriter. But I think to answer the question, it's something that you have to feel that's within. And it truly is motivating you and you have a real passion for it. So that's what I thought when I came to writing. I'm sort of like writing with you know blood in my hands because this is really from within and it's really a creative aspect of myself and my personality that I'm trying to tap into. And hopefully I'm communicating that to people that it's really heartfelt and it's really from within. And it's a creative part of myself that I feel as though I need to express.
0: What type of books did you grow up reading? Did you have an all-time favorite?
1: It's a interesting question in that it's kind of re- reminds me of a story. So my sister and I were voracious readers as kids and when we were kids we would ride our bikes to the library and what i would do is i would get the maximum amount of books that you could take out of the library which was something like 10. i would stack them up and then read a chapter in each and just rotate them so some people would say you know aren't you getting confused i go no because i was so engaged in the content that i really enjoyed them but i went through them that way And then my sister also read a lot as well. And the funny thing is she had a bike that had the basket. So we were going up the hill. We were growing up in New Jersey. Every time we got to that hill, we'd have to switch because she couldn't get all the books in her bike up the hill. So we'd have to exchange at that point. But in terms of things that what I read, I don't really remember enjoying a lot of things that other kids did. And it was also unusual for my sister and I. We also read before we went to school. We only went to kindergarten. There was no preschool back in the day, but we both were reading before we went there. So no one really taught us how to read. I'm not sure how we both did, but I do remember my father reading a newspaper all the time. I think we saw our parents reading and thought it was an important skill to pick up. So it wasn't anything particular, but I do think I started getting attracted to things along the lines of history and background. And it's also very fortunate with my parents. They were a young couple and they wanted to see a lot of things. So when we grew up back East, we were in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, the Eastern seaboard. The things that we grew up were were the things that my parents wanted to see and fortunately i got to see them as well too so a lot of revolutionary war sites civil war sites so then not surprisingly every time we would go somewhere such as gettysburg well i'd want to know everything about gettysburg because i would want to know the history and the background and it was also good preparation because when i did get to college i started taking classes that i wanted i both took music classes because I was interested in music and history classes as well, too. So as a kid, I started already developing an interest in those areas. And same thing with school. I saw some things in school that I wasn't really interested in to an- the annoyance of my parents. But I said, ah, I'm not really interested. You know, I'm going to pursue the things that I want to pursue, which were historical in nature. And what then by the time you get to college, you realize they're the liberal arts. So I was very interested in anything having to do with the liberal arts.
0: Love that. On the other side of that, now as an adult, do you have any favorite series or authors that if something comes out, doesn't matter what it is by them, you're just going to grab it?
1: Yeah, and I think there are some of those serious thinkers that I do enjoy. So the people that I think that are worthwhile reading, and I would recommend to anybody this, it's somebody if I could have actually stayed in academia, and done as well as him. I would have done that because his books are really first rate, but this is an ancient historian, Victor Davis Hanson, that anything that he puts out, I will read because he is so good and he's so creative and he's so insightful that I can appreciate much of what he's writing about. And I wish I could attain that, but he's really phenomenal. He has really done some groundbreaking work. And what he has done is he takes his historical perspective and apply it to the present. And that's what I really admire about him, because if there's anything that I did as a teacher and a professor and a campus dean and when I was an executive in the educational industry, that's what I was attempting to do, to try to show people how much you could learn from history And there is that famous saying that those who refuse to remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And that's what I appreciate about his writing, because that's what he's been able to accomplish as an ancient historian, apply himself to contemporary affairs and current affairs and show how important this is. They're also related to that is a person I also think almost everything he has written, I want to read too. This is Neil Ferguson. Neil Ferguson writes on financial history So I'm not particularly adept at the financial part, but I definitely understand the history of what he's writing. And he, too, has taken the past and the historical part of financing and how people have related to each other in terms of networks, in terms of pandemics and things that we've experienced, but also applied himself to current affairs. So when I talk about the in general liberal arts or what history people often would think of it as, well, it's all in the past. It doesn't matter. And my argument is just the opposite. If you look at these writers who are really preeminent thinkers, what they are attempting to do is to show us the past so that we understand it but then solve problems for today. And I think if anything, that's what we definitely need. But I would pick out those two that almost every book that they're out, they're both contemporary, they're both still alive, and hopefully publishing for some time. But when they come out with something, I'm automatic, I'm I'm getting it. So Neil Ferguson and Victor Davis Hansen, both phenomenal.
0: Love that. What would you tell someone just starting out with reading
1: again? That's a good question too, because I'll give you an example. Now, I had been reading quite a bit, as we said earlier, since I was a small child. And I always felt, well, I'm a pretty darn good reader. And I knew this because I could compare myself and my dad did. He actually had my, I challenged my uncle who was in college at the time. We did a speed and complexity reading test that he had, that my uncle had. I was in eighth grade. And the thing is, when we tested each other, went up to competition between the two of us. I read faster than my uncle with a higher comprehension. I was only in eighth grade. He was in college. So I knew I had some pretty decent writing there, but there was a book that I came across when I got into graduate school and the graduate school professor said, you need to read. He said this, the entire class, you need to read how to read a book by Mortimer Adler. So I'm thinking to myself, as probably my colleagues did at the time, what do you mean? We're in grad school. Of course, we know how to read. However, in that book, this is by far the best book for a person who wants to get into reading or also would like to be a better reader. It's How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler. Now, he's not saying you have to know how to read before you read his book. But what he's showing you is how to take the different disciplines that there are, such as history and religion and science and different fields and how best. And there's some great tips that he has. I've noticed if a person is reading a book, seriously, keep something handy. Some people will write in a book. Some people don't want to write in their books, but they can write notes, but being an active reader. And if there was some way I could summarize what he is saying, and it's being an active reader. So for a lot of people, they will tell you, I read a paragraph. But i have no idea what i read in that paragraph that's because they're being a passive reader an active reader is a person who is actually engaging with the thoughts and engaging with the words and actively understanding so what i did and i taught myself i think if i came across a word to increase my vocabulary i made sure i wrote that down and then i looked it up with a great dictionary the point being here is that what a lot of people are frustrated with is they either don't know the words, they don't understand the thought behind the words, and that's what frustrates them. But by reading that book, being an active reader, looking up words, making sure that you're understanding the concepts, and you find that you will both increase the speed of reading and also the enjoyment of reading because you're actually going to understand. By the time you get to an end of the paragraph, you should know what the topic sentence is and you should know what that paragraph is and then build on that paragraph by paragraph chapter by chapter and ultimately to understanding a book
0: uh, on the other side of that what would you tell someone just starting to write their own book
1: that's a good question for someone like me because that's what i'm really passionate about is helping people because i do think a lot of people will have a story but they don't quite know what to do in terms of the structuring of a story so what i would say for a lot of people yes you are a unique person If you have a story, start having it down when you have the basics. So what is your story? There's always going to be something like a three-point structure, the beginning, the middle, and end. But being able to understand what that structure of writing is and being able to be convincing. So depending on the forum or the medium of what you're actually trying to do, whether it's going to be a nonfiction book or it's a fictional book or it's a screenplay or whatever it is, Each one of those different types has a structure to it. And what I generally can do with the person who is trying to get into writing, I can coach them with that. And I do what I would call coaching for results. A lot of people, it's not like they just wake up in the morning and say, I need a coach. What they really are looking for is results. That's the key. So when I work with somebody, I say, let's define what results you would like to get out of this do you want to go for a page length do you want to go for a impact in a certain field but by organizing that because that's what people have trouble with they had know they have a good story or they think they have a story they would like to say something about their background or their family whatever it might be but they don't know how to convince other people and that's the whole key that when you are writing as I always would point out to writers, because I also taught English and composition and things like that as a professor, I said, the burden is on you. You should never look at writing as if the person isn't able to understand what you're writing. You're the one that has the burden of communicating your ideas. And that really is what's key. So when people think of it that way, you have to think of every piece of writing that you are providing. It's not like a person is having a conversation with you because they can't stop what you're writing at some point and ask you, well, what did you mean by that? So as a writer, you have to keep in mind that every word you're using is going to be communicating something. And there's a tip that Mark Twain would also say. He would say, go through your writing and slash every other word out. You know, what do you mean by that? What he's trying to do, of course, is he saying, don't waste words. Make sure that the words you are using are the words that you actually want to use in order to convey meaning. And he gave an example of this. He said, the difference in words and the importance and import of words is so critical because it's like showing the difference between lightning and lightning bug. Absolutely. Absolutely there is a real difference. So every single word you use, you have to keep in mind the burden of proof is upon you. And you need to be clear because a person can never ask you and say, what did you mean by that? But if you have to do that, then there's something wrong with the writing and you have to be able to pick up on that. And that's what I help people with. I said, you know, they don't know necessarily that it's as unclear as they might think. But I tell people, and there's some tips, you read through it, you get really close to it. That's why you need to work with somebody else because the writing that you are writing, you're so close to the words and the ideas, you're missing things. And often what you can do is you give it to somebody else and they'll start picking at the things that are unclear. That's where the rewriting process came in. So I tell people the same thing. I always tell them, here's there's only three simple rules to writing. What are the th- three simple rules of writing? Writing is hard work. Number two, writing is hard work. Number three, writing is hard work. It's not easy, but if you're going to be a good and effective writer, it is takes quite a bit of work to do and to to accomplish.
0: Love that. What's one thing that people are generally surprised to find out about you?
1: Probably that I as different as they might think. I think there's a lot of preconceptions about me. I don't know why, but I think um, people would think of basically a background. And I think I surprise people because when I was younger, I would say, because now that I'm obviously older, when I was younger, people would think of me as an old soul. So I seemed to have more wisdom than a person who was younger. And then I think now that I'm just the opposite, that I'm not as young as I used to be, now as I'm thinking young, and I think that's really a key to life as well. And I would say the same thing for anybody, that if you want to be successful in life, that if you are younger, don't be so rash, don't be so flighty, don't make quick decisions. You're probably not mature enough, so slow down a little bit, and then just the opposite. As you become part of the aging as I've had, then you have to think young because that keeps you young. And I think this is what surprises people. So when I was younger, I think I surprised them because I didn't talk a whole lot because I'm a reserved individual. But when I said something, people tended to listen. So not surprisingly, I got into the academic game because I realized that you know, I probably had something to say because I was thoughtful and I was articulate and I had read a lot and I thought people could benefit from this. So I was naturally inclined to be in the educational type of field. And then I think just the opposite, that as a person who feared getting old, like I think a lot of younger people, looking back, oh, it's not that bad after all. Actually, you can pick up a few things as you get older and the process is not as bad, but then when people meet me, I think I tend to be very open and fresh to ideas which people that are older often tend not to be because they get stuck in their ways. So I think that's the surprising thing about me. I think people tend to think that I'm younger than I am.
0: Love that. Is there anything you would like to say or add?
1: I'd probably just add because related to the novel is actually a podcast that I'm part of. So I'm co-hosting a new podcast called Aftermath. And it's one of the things that we've tried to help people because i had connected with two people online and we came across a similar idea because we had gone through this parental alienation process and we said you know what we got a good conversation we started talking about it said you know we really should start a podcast i think because there's a audience out there there's a lot of people who need help in this area so i've also now the co host that we're we do sort of a he said she said segment but we're very cooperative with one another, but you get the two perspectives. You get a man and a woman, you get a father and a mother. And from our different perspectives, but both of us experiencing parental alienation and going through a custody situation, from our separate perspectives, I help a lot of people because hopefully a woman listening to me can hear what I had to say and maybe learn a little bit. And likewise, my co-host, who's a mother and a woman, Maybe a guy can listen to her and understand what she thinks. So I think that's what's really helpful. So it kind of a outflow from the novel itself, because it really is having to do with parental alienation and custody. Well, she experienced the same thing. So Aftermath has been a a, really a blessing, I think, to people. And hopefully people will check us out and like, subscribe and benefit and be healed.
0: I love that. That's such an amazing thing to put out there. Where's the best place for readers to find your book? I know a lot of readers love signed copies. Is that an option and the best place to connect with you?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question because I do have a website. So it's burning-america.com. So it's typical www.burning-america.com. And that's where you can get a personalized copy. So if you want to give one to your Aunt Murgatroyd, tell me it's Aunt Murgatroyd and it's for her birthday, whatever it is. So I can sign it and date it and things like that. I can do that. And then it's pretty available in a lot of other places. So you can go to Amazon, you can go to Barnes & Noble, you can go to Walmart, go to Target. So any of those other outlets, personalized, or then also a lot of the general sites as well that people can get it. If you want to get a hold of me, contact me directly. So email me. That's Mick. Mick. As in Jagger, except he makes more money. Mick.smith at wsiworld.com. That's mick.smith at wsiworld.com. Get a hold of me directly if I can help you in any way, be more than happy to. So that's great. And also the social media, too. I'm also online, all the socials I'm out there are pretty easy to find. I'm also on podcast, Dr. Digital podcast. Also, can get a hold of me directly there as well.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here today. We're super grateful and we'll be sure to drop those links in the show notes so that everyone can find you. And again, thank you so much.
1: Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Everybody hopefully will hear and bless by anything I can say and anything that you have done as well. Deus you.